Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's from Acts chapter 2 in Peter's first gospel sermon. And he says a remarkable thing. Maybe you caught it or maybe you didn't as I just read that. But what he says is that Jesus was crucified at the hands of lawless men, but that it was ordained by God. And there's this amazing thing when you start to read that and you say, well, wait a second. Lawless men did evil, but yet God used it for his good. And as we step back into our story, the the sermon series we've been calling The Story this morning, and we start to talk about that, that's really what we're going to look at. Uh, A big part of what we're going to see this morning as we uh, run through Genesis and we get to the end of Genesis and the passages we're going to look at today is we're going to look at that. How can God still work even in spite of our sinfulness? And we see this uh, through the life of Joseph. And that's part of what we're going to be looking at this morning. And and what we're going to do is we're really following the storyline that we've started uh, several weeks ago. Last week, if you were here with us, Dr. Alan Ross came and he taught all weekend. And he did a wonderful job of taking us through uh, Abraham's life and the Abrahamic covenant and looking at some of those things. But today we're going to go from what he taught on last Sunday. If you were here, he taught the sacrifice of Isaac um, in Genesis 22. Well, today we're going to jump to Genesis 45 and Genesis 50. That's where the two passages we're going to look at. And so we're going to run real fast through this. And remember what we're doing in this series. Uh, I feel like I need to at least give us a quick overview here. We're doing the big idea, the big picture of how God is moving through Scripture. So basically, I'm going to preach today on Genesis 23 to 50. So this is going to be like a six-hour sermon. So get re- no, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm going, to, I'm going to run you through real quick till we get to those. See, now when it's only like 35 minutes, you'll be like, oh, whew, that was that was nothing. Uh, but we're going to run through a lot of passage to get to that. And, and I'm just going to real briefly give you and tell you why we're going through that so quickly. It fits with how we're doing this series. What we've been seeing is we've looked at the, the story of Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant and this promise that Abraham will be made. Uh, I'll give you all these descendants and I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to bless the world through your seed. And you see this, this storyline of that picking up. And that's what we see moving through Genesis. We see Abraham's family. His immediate descendants and how God is working through them. And what happens is the story in Genesis shifts for a little while to Isaac, but then it quickly shifts to his sons, Jacob and Esau. If you were with us in Sunday school, we talked about how God chooses to use and have the line go through Jacob, even though he's the younger. We see God's sovereignty in the way the plan moves. And then Jacob goes and he has 12 sons. And really from Genesis 37 to 50, it switches. The main storyline switches to Joseph. Number 11 of the 12 sons, not the one that you would expect for God to use, but he uses the 11th. And what we see working down through that is God is sovereign in his plan and he's working it through this family and he's using it and he gets us down to this. And then we get to Joseph's life and the passages we're going to look at just for your convenience. Maybe you don't have a Bible. We, We try to make our points. We try to take them straight from Scripture, show you how it came. The text today is actually printed on the back of your bulletin. And that may be helpful to you because I'm going to go between Genesis 45 and Genesis 50 kind of back and forth. And so that way you've got them right there together. So if you want to follow along there, that's where we're going to be. But in order to get to those passages, we need to quickly 
hit through Joseph's life. Maybe you're familiar with that story. I'm going to give you a, essentially the 92nd uh, view of Joseph's life. And that's Genesis 37 through 50. Just another plug for the little card we've been putting in your bulletin. We've been reading through the Bible together. If you're reading through that, you should be getting pretty close to getting through Genesis 50. So this, hopefully, you've been reading along with us and this, you've, it's fresh in your mind. But if it's not, I want to at least give you the overview real quick before we get into these passages. And Joseph's life looks something like this. He's born of Jacob and Rachel, Rachel being one of Jacob's two wives, and it's his favorite wife. And it takes a long time. He has lots of other kids before he finally has Jacob. And what happens is he ends up become, become I'm sorry, before he has Joseph. But Joseph ends up becoming Jacob's favorite son. And he really uh, favors him and he gives him lots of stuff. And he really pours his love and affection out on him. And in a lot of ways, it makes uh, Joseph somewhat obnoxious. You kind of see that a little bit in Genesis 37. He seems to, to take that to heart and he's, he's the favorite and it's all about him. And as a result, his brothers hate him. They hate him so much that they conspire to kill him. And instead of killing him at the last second, they decide, no, let's just sell him into slavery. So his own brothers sell him into slavery where he's taken down to Egypt as a slave and he works his way. He starts to do well in his uh, new position working for a man, but then he's falsely accused and he's put in prison. He spends many, many years in prison. But through that time, God works and he brings him to Pharaoh's court where he becomes the number two in power over all of Egypt. And God uses Joseph's life through dreams and visions that he gives him, a prophetic word. He tells him on how Egypt is to prepare for a coming famine. So God uses Joseph to prepare for this famine. And eventually it brings his family back around because they have to come down to Egypt because they need food. And there's Joseph over him. And so it comes full circle with him back to his brothers. And what you see when I give you the, the kind of 92nd overview of Joseph's life you can see real clearly God's hand. You can see his sovereignty and the trials and the ups and the downs and what he's doing when we look at it that way. But you have to realize this took place over 20 plus years. And I'm certain there were times in Joseph's life that he didn't have the perspective that he has that we look at in Genesis 45 and 50 when he can see all of it. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at how God works through those ups and downs and what he's doing. And I want to look at it two ways. We're going to look at it from from two different sides. One, we're going to look at it kind of looking at it through the eyes of, of Joseph's brothers in that how can God work in spite of our rebellion? Even when we're sinful, he's still working. But then we're also going to look at it from the other side of Joseph's side of how God can work when we're hurting and when everything seems to be against us and God doesn't seem to be there and we're being persecuted and we've been wrong. So we're seeing two sides kind of of the same coin with Joseph's brother and with Joseph. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And in order to do that, we're going to look at Genesis 45 and then Genesis 50, but not the whole. Um, I think what you have printed there is Genesis 45, one through nine. I'm actually going to read. Three through eight, and then we'll look at the the few verses from chapter 50. But in three through eight, the scene is Joseph's brothers have come down to Egypt because they need food. And they've come before him to ask for it. And he's run them through some tests and stuff. But finally, he's going to reveal to him who he is. They don't recognize him because he's now dressed as an Egyptian. He would have taken on all their stuff. It would have been 20 plus years. There's no reason for them to think that he would be in charge in Egypt. And so he finally reveals himself, and this is what takes place, and starting in verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. 
And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler over all the land of Egypt. And now we're going to skip ahead to, to Genesis 50. And what happens is Joseph sends his family. He sends for them. They all move to Egypt. They come and they live with him. He's reunited with his father. He's reunited with Jacob. But then Jacob passes. And then this is what happens in Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Let's pray and then we're going to look at those two passages together. Dear Lord, we pray this morning that we would be uh, faithful to your word. Uh, We confess that we need you, that we need your Holy Spirit moving. We need you to open our eyes to be able to see clearly what you have for us. We need you to apply it to our hearts. We need you to work in spite of us. We pray that you would do so this morning, that your spirit would move freely, that you would show us what you would have for us, that we would leave here changed, moving closer to you, uh, moving closer to the consuming fire that you are, that we would want to know you more. And uh, we pray that that uh, is what would happen this morning, that you would meet us here. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin with this, like I said, two questions essentially is how is God working despite or in spite of us, despite our rebellion. And then the other side, and we're kind of looking at that through Joseph's brother, but then through Joseph, how can God, uh, or how do we see God in the midst of being wronged or our hard times or or when we're frustrated or, or whatever it may be, how is God working in those times as well? So we see it both sides. So we start with the brothers and I want to give you just a quick flashback. I'm covering a bunch here, but I want to make sure we're clear on what happens. I want you to be clear on the rebellion of of Joseph's brothers. In Genesis 37, it says they saw him coming from afar. uh, Joseph's going out to meet his brothers and they see him coming. And it says before they came near, they conspired against him to kill him. They said one to another, here comes the dreamer. Now let us kill him and throw him into the pits and we will see what will become of his dreams. And you see such a hardness of heart of Joseph's own brothers. I mean, think about that for just a second. Brothers deciding that we're going to kill our younger brother. Yeah, he may be obnoxious. He may be kind of spoiled. He may have gotten these things, but it's come to the point that they've decided they're going to kill him. The depths of the depravity here and what they're doing. And at the last minute, they decide, no, we won't kill him. We'll just sell him into slavery. But it doesn't even really stop there because they do sell him into slavery and they take his coat. But then it says... Scripture tells us they put blood on the coat and they took it back to Jacob, their father. And they say that they tell him to Jacob, is this your son's coat? And he says, yes. And then it says, Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. 
All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And I want you to see the fullness of their sin and the devastation they caused. Right? Not only did they sell their brother, but then they go back and they lie to their father and they tell him he's dead. In which Jacob would have mourned for his entire for 20 plus years thinking he had lost his son. And you think about what that would have done to their family, the guilt between the brothers, the frustration, the mourning, all the things that were going on in that family life that would have been there as a result of this. And you see the sin so far and so deep in that. And I think sometimes we read that story and we gloss over that. How, how awful that would have been and how I mean, think about as the brothers burying that and trying not to think about what you had done and the, and the grief that you caused your father and all those things all the way through. And you see that. And so it's no wonder when we get to Genesis 45 that we see the brothers react the way they do when they stand before Joseph. If you look at 45, verse three, and it says, and Joseph said, I am Joseph is my father still alive, but his brothers could not answer for they were dismayed at his presence. Think about that for just a moment, what they've been harboring for 20 plus years and then to stand face to face and see your brother. Their sin is being brought to light. Very real. The person that they sinned against, the one that they did that knows exactly what happened. There's no lying. They come face to face with. And you see that so clearly right there. And you can imagine what's in their minds. They're dismayed at his presence. You don't really even have to imagine if you look at 50 chapter 50, verse 15, it says, Uh, When they saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. Right. They've been living with the guilt. And it's one thing to have your sin brought to light. But there's also an element here of the fear of retribution. Right. This is the guy we wronged. And now he's in power. He could do whatever he wants to us. And suddenly you have this picture that comes that comes through the fear of retribution, the fear of their conscience and their guilt. Right. When it's brought to light, there's no hiding anymore. You know, amongst themselves, they could have had a pact. Hey, we'll never talk about this again. Let's forget about it. But when Joseph stands, they stand before Joseph. Suddenly all that goes out the window because it's brought face to face with them. And what happens is they begin to think. And this is the way we often think about revenge. Oh, no, he's going to repay us. There's a quote in your uh, bulletin this morning that talks about the thought of karma. And the way the world karma, you get you get what you put in, you get back And the way the world works. That's the way our justice system works. You do something, you have to pay the penalty. It's the way it's the way our society works in a lot of ways. And that's exactly where they go. They start to go about it. Right. There's a lot of truth in that quote and about how it works, the way our justice system works, the way things goes. But if you read further in that quote, the next thing it says is, thankfully, there's something that interrupts karma. And that's called grace. And that's what we see here right in the middle of Joseph when they come and they stand before him. You see what Joseph says in verse 5 of chapter 45. And now, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. That's the heart of the Christian life. I want you to understand what Joseph just said to his brothers. Yes, you acted evil. And by the way, that doesn't what he says here does not do away with the consequences of our sin. They're still very real. There was still 20 plus years of anguish and suffering and heartache over their sin. And those are all very real. But what Joseph says, what God's word tells us through what Joseph says in 45 verse five is that I can redeem whatever, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, I can redeem it. 
And that's what he's telling them. That's what Joseph's saying to them this morning. He says, I can redeem this and I can bring it back. See, oftentimes when there's this uh, rebellion, at some point it will catch up to us. It's going to catch up to us whether we admit it or not. A lot of times, like Joseph's brother, I'm guessing, but the thought is that they probably bury that very deep. Let's not talk about that. Let's not have that come up. Let's, let's, we do that often with our sin. But the reality is at some point it will catch up with us. You know, part of it, it catches up with us in our conscience. Romans talks about how God has written his law in our hearts and our conscience. When we've done something wrong, we know it. And we can, we can lie to ourselves and we can bury that. And maybe uh, there's people who get through life and they keep doing that. But at some point we will all die and we will stand before our creator. And everything will be brought to light. So there, there's no, no escaping and getting around this. But sometimes we try to and we try to uh, hide it. We try to hide our sins uh, we try to do it by living uh, in a lot of ways, especially in the church. We live a two-faced life. Right? We get around church people, uh, well, how are you doing and how are things going? I'm great. I'm good. I'm fine. Right? And we put on a show. Well, they don't want, I don't want them to know this about me. Right? And, we, and we do that. We hide sins and we go, no, 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 you can't know that. So I'm not going to tell you. People would, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't care for me if they knew that. So we, we hide them and we push them way down. And, and, and the reality is that's extremely exhausting. You think about Joseph's brothers, 20 plus years of hiding this and keeping this secret and making sure their father never knows and the guilt that they were living with. And then to stand before uh, Joseph and then all of a sudden it's brought to light. And the reality is when we do that, when we hide sins and we say, no, no, no I could never let anybody know this. The root of that is a misunderstanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he comes and takes all of it and he says, I've forgiven you. And when we say, no, 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 you couldn't tell this. Whether we realize it or not, what we're doing is we're falling into works-based righteousness. I have a show, a face I have to put on because if you knew the real me, you'd go, oh no, he's a mess. But the reality is he, he redeems all of it. And that's what we're seeing here. We, we get this picture. But the, the problem is so many of us buy into the lie. I've got to hide it. I've got to put on this face. I've got to have my public face, of the church face. Nobody can know what's how I can't share what's going on. I can't confess. I can't have people know because of what that would do. But what we see even right here when Joseph speaks to him, and he says, don't be distressed or angry with yourself. And he's, telling, he's giving, he's offering the heart of the Christian life that there's, there is redemption, that God can redeem. And if you've bought into that lie of karma, that's the only way there is. You're going to get what you deserve. Grace interrupts that. And it steps in. I think of First uh, John 1.9. When I was reading this, that kept coming to mind all week. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to hide it. Jesus says, you confess, you come to me, you lay it out, and I will forgive you and I will give you my righteousness. And that's the, exactly what you start to see in this picture of Joseph. Uh, just as Joseph forgives his brothers, God will forgive us and God can redeem it. Now, here's the, the crazy part when you start to read this. And this is what we we're seeing in uh, Sunday school this morning. God can redeem and can use and can work in spite of our sin. You know, we saw that this morning as we talked about when Jacob stole the blessing from his brother and he connived and did all these things. But yet God still does it and he's still going through because God's sovereign and he can work even when we're working against it. And that's what we begin to see. He can redeem all of it. And that's what Joseph says to his brothers. 
You meant this for evil, but God is still at work here. Even though you've rebelled and even though you've caused all these problems and there's all these consequences, God is still sovereign and he can still redeem. And so for a very practical application to us, if you buy into that lie that, well, God can never forgive me, Scripture is telling you, yes, he can. And even though there may be consequences of your sin and there may be real things that you have to deal with and come to face with because it doesn't wipe out all the earthly consequences, he does say, I can redeem you and you can come back. And so we see how God can work despite our rebellion. He can use even our sinful choices for his purposes to go forward. But not only that, he can use those in our rebellion when he brings it to light by bringing you back to him. When you are brought to light and you see your sin so clearly, then you see God's grace that much more clearly. And so you see that with the first part of his brothers, that even though they've done this awful sin and they've done these things, that God is still at work. But you may say this morning, you may think about that and say, well, I haven't sold my brother into slavery. I haven't done those awful things. But uh, maybe you identify more with Joseph this morning. Maybe you have some suffering in your life or some frustration or something that's really working on you, and you're saying, uh, we're tempted oftentimes to say, well, this can't work out for good. If that's where you are this morning, I want you to see the other side of this through Joseph. Uh, Maybe that's your need. So let's look at the other side of it through Joseph in his amazing testimony. Look again with me at verse uh, 45, or chapter 45, verses 5 through 8. He just says to him, don't be distressed because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life for the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. I want you to think about that testimony, what he says to his brothers there. That despite his suffering and despite the things that are going on and despite the, uh, the hardships that he's going through, Joseph could look at all that and say, no, no, that was God's plan. So if you're in the middle of some hardship, I want you to really think hard about this this morning and think about what Joseph's saying. Whatever you're going through, he's saying, God's saying to us that I can work even in your lowest times, even in the hardest times. And I want us to think about why as we think about Joseph's life and what we know about it. God uses Joseph's hardships to bring much good. He does a great number of things through his life, but they're all come through his hardships. And we see the Bible filled with so many examples of this. Uh, Lot comes to mind. Uh, Paul comes to mind. The disciples come to mind. You see it all the way through Scripture where God uses these hardships and these things, but he uses them to then do great things through it. They come out on the other side, and I want you to think about why. See, God so many times uses hard times to mold us and to shape us and to draw us closer to him, to trust him that much more. He uses those times to strip away our self-reliance. When things are going good, it's easy. I'm good. I'm okay. Everything's all right. I want you to think for just a second the very uh, most urgent times of prayer when you were on your face before God. When was that in your life? Almost without fail, if you go around the room, we started to ask, it would be at some really hard time in your life. When things are really not going well, those are the times that we have to turn to him because there's nowhere else to go. And so God works through those hard times because he starts to strip away our self-reliance and he brings us to rely on him more and more. 
And you can follow that through Joseph's life. You can see all the ups and downs and the things and how God was molding him and bringing him to this point that he could say this amazing testimony to his brothers. But I want you to think about that. You may still say, okay, well, that, yeah, God uses hard times. But still, that's, a, that's an amazing thing to say to your brothers after they've sold you into slavery and they've done all these things and they've called all, caused all this pain and all this hardship and all that. Well, I want to give you a little bit more uh, practical side of how Joseph got to that point. Because we can trace that a little bit through his life and see it. The first thing I want you to notice here is, as Joseph says this to his brothers, just very practical side of this. This is many years removed from his darkest times. Think about that for just, it's been almost, uh, well, it's been nine years since he's been in prison. He's, he's gained some perspective because he's not right in the middle of it now. He's able to step back and see it from a little bigger picture. It's been 20 plus years since his brother sold him into slavery and God started to heal and work through that. See, sometimes when we're right in the middle of something, it's hard to see it when it's so raw and it's so new. And we say this can't work for good. How in the world is this going to work out and how can this happen? Sometimes we just need some time. We need some perspective and going hand in hand with that, with the perspective we need. And it's not really in Joseph's story, but it's all throughout Scripture. We need a community of faith to come alongside us and be able to say to us, I've been where you've been. I've seen God work through this. Let me tell you what I've seen God do. Or maybe it's somebody to come alongside you and say, let me show you what God's word says about this and how he can work even in this. You know, it's not really in Joseph's story. We don't it's not explicitly said in Joseph's story that there's anybody doing that with Joseph. But it's all throughout Scripture. Hebrews is a great example. Right? Hebrews is a sermon letter written to the early church that's really frustrated and struggling. And you know what it says in Hebrews over and over and over and over again? Meet together. Exhort one another. Don't forget to meet together. Preach the gospel to one another. Tell each other. Remind each other. It's just over and over and over. And so when hard times comes, yes, sometimes it takes Time to get that perspective, but it also takes people coming alongside you and helping you through that. To do it in isolation on your own right in the middle of it will crush you. It's so hard in those moments when you're right in the middle of it. But you see that over and over in the New Testament that we're to meet together and help one another, encourage one another. But not only that, we also could say we see God give small confirmations throughout it. And sometimes you're right in the middle of it. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to read Joseph's story and what takes place in 20 plus years. You can read in 20 minutes and you miss the ups and downs. Right. When when Joseph is uh, thrown in jail, it tells us the text basically just says God was with him and he gave him and helped him. And he rose to uh, a place of uh, kind of over some people and an overseer role and some neat things that happened in that. But we don't know exactly how long that took. How long before he had that first confirmation? How long before he really... How many years did he sit in jail going, this can't possibly work for good? We don't know. But the reality is that over that time, after some time, God started to give him some confirmations. And then he started to raise up. And then, But uh, the connection that actually gets him out of jail, he, he interprets some guy's dreams. If you know the story, they get out. And he says, remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me. And they say, yeah, we'll do. And then it says two years later, they remember him. So there's those two years in there that he's sitting there. And so we have those times of up and down, but then God will step in and give that confirmation. 
And you see that in his life. It kind of goes up and down and there's this, these waves. So over time, it takes time of waiting, but also having those around you who can speak truth into your life and help you with that. If you're in the middle of something like that, I don't want to make light of it this morning. Oh, you just need some perspective. Just get somebody to talk to you about it. That doesn't, it doesn't always work that, that easily. When you're right in the middle, it's very hard and you can be frustrated and you can be angry and you can say, oftentimes, that, that's what comes out. There's no way God could work this for good. Right when we're in the middle of it, that's usually kind of what gets squeezed out sometimes. There's no way this could work for good. And I want to uh, just remind you to seek counsel, to come alongside of people, to have people around you. Don't isolate yourselves. Remember, it does take time. But there's also a part, and I, and I say this somewhat bluntly, but I want you to hear this because it's, it's so important that we grasp this. If you have a God big enough to be angry at, that means you have a God big enough that he can work even the bad things for good. See, sometimes we get angry at God and we shake our fist. This couldn't work for good. If you have a God that you're angry enough that you think he could fix it in an instant, then you have a God big enough that he can work through your suffering. And that's a hard thing to come to grips with sometimes. That's not always the easiest, but I want to at least remind you of that if you're in that place right now, that God is big enough to work through it. And the Bible's filled with examples of how he does it. This faithful record of how he does that. But I want us to get back to Joseph for just a second. The key to how he can say this. Yes, we can say, well, he's taken all these things and these fed into it. And he saw this and he had perspective from time and he had people speaking in his life and all these things. But how did he get to the point where he could say this to his brothers? And I think the answer is in chapter 50 in verses 19 through 21. When his brothers are falling down before him and please spare us. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And what I want you to see is what we've been talking about almost every week through this series. The key here on why Joseph could say what he said is right there that Joseph sees. He says, am I in the place of God? Joseph sees that the big story is not about us. It's about God and his glory. And he sees that so clearly because he can see how God's moved through his life and what he's doing. And he can stop and he says, who am I? I'm not God. I'm not going to repay you. God is at work here and he is sovereign. And Joseph gets that glimpse through what God's done in his life. And he starts to see that so clearly that God is control. And he's gotten that through those confirmations and through times and the hard times. And right where it looks like he can't take it anymore, God would step in and he'd see God move. You know, it makes me think of in 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about no temptations overtaken us. That's not common to man and that God will give you a way out that he'll he'll always be there. He'll never push you to the point where you can't stand up. And, and the reality is he'll push. He'll never take you to a point that he can't work in and he'll always be there. And I think of Joseph when you see those confirmations and sometimes you think, I can't take this anymore. And then he steps in and sometimes it goes on longer, but he's using that. And he's molding you and it comes around. Uh, I thought of as I thought about this, Joseph's life and that thought. Oftentimes we say Romans 8:28, God will work all things together for those called according to his purposes, which is true. And we see that so clearly. Um, I can think about it in my life 
when I've seen God a few different times, those little confirmations where you, you're beat down and you're whatever, and then all of a sudden the light shines through a little, and he shows you a little bit more his glory and how he's working. Uh, many of you know four and a half years ago my brother Jed died in a car wreck. And uh, he was 15 months younger than I am, my, my best friend for my whole life. And Jed died in a car wreck in a, a year... Five days before the anniversary of he died, a friend of mine called me and said, hey, I got this friend that I've worked with for a long time, and his brother just died in a car wreck. And I don't know what to say to him. He's like, I don't really know how to minister to him. I don't know what to say. Could you write some things down for me or some verses? And I said, yeah, okay, I can do that. And I sat up at my computer, and I remember writing a bunch of things, just what came to mind. It was interesting how God works. I had been reading for months, the last few months, on how God works in evil and suffering and how that can exist and how God's sovereign. And So I had all these thoughts. I put all this stuff down. And I sent him an email. And I kind of forgot about it. Five days later, uh, Joanna and I were sitting in a restaurant. And it's funny, the things you remember. In Alpharetta, we were sitting in a restaurant. And my phone rang. And it was August 18th, a year to the day that Jed died. And it was my friend on the phone. And he said, hey, I just had to call and tell you. He said, I had just left the funeral of my friend. And he said, uh, his wife got up to speak and he said through tears, she, she was talking about how hard this was and she didn't know how she would go on. He said, she took a piece of paper out of her pocket she unfolded it and she started to read. She said, she read your email to this congregation of people. And she talked about, I had to go back and read the email when she took, when he told me, I went, what did she say? <laughs> and I went back and what was there is that God is sovereign. And the cross of Jesus Christ proves that. And what happens is she used that, or God used that to work through her for her to share the gospel to a room full of people that were hurting. And as I got off the phone with my friend, I started to think about it, that here it is, the one-year anniversary, and God spoke through my friend. And what he says, I am redeeming it all. No matter your hardships or what you've gone through, I am at work. I will be glorified even in your hardest times. And it was so clear that confirmation there it was. I'm at work here. Even in your brother dying at 29 years old, I'm going to use this. You don't see exactly how yet, but I'm going to use it. And I say that just as he, he meets us in our need. And he gives us confirmations when we need it most. And maybe today you sit here and you go, I'm right in the middle of a really hard time and I don't even, yeah, that sounds great. That's a nice story. Or you say, yeah, Joseph's a great story, but he ascended to number two in Egypt and he was wealthy and he got everything back and everything was great. And that's not me right now. I don't have all these riches. And my answer to that is, yes, you do. And you have that and more. And the reason I can say that is because... God stepped down into our story and he walked with us and he lived the life that we should have lived and he took the punishment that we deserved and then he gave us the benefits of it all. See, the cross proves that God cares. The cross proves that even in the hardest of times that he's still working because he stepped in and entered the story with us. So whether you're like the brother today, the brother's, and you think, I'm so messed up and I've done this and I can't be forgiven. In Christ you have been forgiven and all you have to do is confess your sins and lay at his feet and he will take it. There's nothing that he can't redeem. 
There's nothing that you've done that's too far, that's put you too far from him that he can't bring you back. So lay it at his feet. Or maybe you're like Joseph today and you're in the middle of a hard time. Or maybe you've really been wronged. And you think, this, no way. I can't be doing this. I can't do that. I can't forgive. But you can because of what Christ has forgiven you. He's given you the power to now turn around and forgive. And so the reality is when we think about it that we're all really like Joseph. And we're all really like the brothers at different times in our lives. We're really both. We're both sides of it. We've all been hurt. We've all had problems. We've all had frustrations. Yet at the cross, Jesus answers both sides. He gives you the power to forgive others through what he's forgiven you. He gives you the power to lay all your stuff at his feet because of what he's done for you. And he shows us through all that, that all of this, all of it, our hardships, the hard, the up and down, it's all about him and what he's done for us. Just like we've been saying in this story all along, it's all about Christ and his glory and he will work it together. Because he's, he's coming to redeem all things. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for uh, your grace and your mercy. That you show up in the hard times. That you're there with us all along the way, even when we don't know it and we can't understand and we can't discern it. But that you are still God and you are still in control. That you can use any and all things to bring your purposes together. And we praise you and thank you for that. I pray that you would give us discernment in those times. I pray for any that are here this morning that are in the midst of that situation, that you would meet them at their point of their need even today. That you'd give this body of believers the opportunities, uh, the chances to uh, come alongside with someone who's hurting and to share your love, to share where we've seen you showing up, that we would encourage and exhort one another, and that through that we would see so clearly your glory and what you're doing We thank you for all you've done for us. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.